Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Ah, well, it's only, it's not even two o'clock in the afternoon and the, and the Edmonton Oilers have already lost for the second time this year to the worst team in the NHL. So it's a little bit, uh, that's a little bit disheartening, but it's, I think it's a, it's a, a typical story in the Western conference this year. It's the Oilers story is the, seems like the story of all, even the good teams are losing a lot of games and losing games they should win. And that's certainly what happened today with the Oilers in a six, five, Loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets. It may have been the weirdest game of the year for the Oilers, which is saying something. Although, anyway, Bruce, uh, let's just get into this with our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. And um, maybe we should start it off with our bad things because the the game has a certain rhythm to it. I think we're we're talking about the game makes more sense if we do this. So I'll start it off with my first bad thing because I'm going to go with the first good thing kind of in the sequence of the okay. game. And um, it was a really lackluster first period for both teams. Um, but um, particularly for the Oilers, who just had nothing going on, I think. Um, we had them with one grade-A shot the entire first period, Bruce. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a marginal grade-A shot uh, from Hyman. As I recall, in the power play, he took it out from the side of the net and um, jammed it on net. And the goalie made a, you know, Corpusala wasn't really tested him, but it was in tight. So you never know what's going to happen there. But the, the Oilers get some penalties as the period goes on. And they get one right near the end in the final two minutes. And they kill it off. But just near the end of that, that um, penalty kill, Nugent Hopkins gets the puck. And um, he gives it away just... <laughs> such a soft pass in his own zone. I don't know what he was doing, like whether he's exhausted, but he just, he just put it right on the stick of the opposing player. It seemed like a play where he was lacking intensity, lacking focus and just gave that puck away. And the puck stays in the Edmonton end at that point. And a few seconds later, Deharnay takes a slashing penalty. That slashing penalty then um, causes the two minute power play at the start of the second period which Columbus scores on to make it 2-0. Bruce, I just thought Nugent Hopkins, he had a he had a maybe his worst game of the year. He was um, uh, a culprit on many bad plays. But that one, that particular play just typified the Oilers. They just did not have their heads in this game. They were wandering about. The whole team was in the red light zone in the first period. And it was only the fact that they're playing the Columbus Blue Jackets they didn't get stomped right then. That did come in the second period as they get down. But, you know, that play by Nugent Hopkins, he just, it was just so typical of what was going on with the orders. They just um, seemed determined to give away the two points tonight, and that's exactly what happened um, due, to, due, due to plays like that. On the third Columbus goal, um, where Philip Broberg turned over the puck, um, Nugent Hopkins was, was again, like, all three of the forwards, Broberg was in the Oilers zone, and all three of the Edmonton Oilers forwards were up at the Columbus Blue, um, blue Line. Um, you know, half the ice, at least half the ice away yeah. from poor Broberg, who did cough up the puck, but him, Hyman, and Fogel. 
it got taken out of the air that pass, but Hyman and Fogel were at the far blue line, and Broberg gets the puck and looks up for a pass, and there's Nuge fleeing across the center red line to join the two other guys. Broberg sits down an aerial pass. Should have been a good pass, but the Columbus guy took it out of the air, and the three forwards are all so far beyond the play. It was a three-on-two. It's just, uh, a, and how much have we seen that, Bruce, this year? Too that, that kind many of, times. That kind of play from the Oilers, where no mm-hmm. one's coming back to help the mm-hmm. Oilers' defense. No one's yep. skating towards them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it happened to, I remember it happened to Broberg earlier this year, same kind of play. Mm-hmm. And they just, hey, the forwards are hanging out. They just hung out the defenseman. Um, mm-hmm. Did leave this game, and the defensemen uh, also made their fair share of mistakes. So, did they ever? <clears throat> not to mention the goalie. Okay, Bruce, your bad thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, effort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm almost as tempted to say the Edmonton Oilers. Or certainly, the Edmonton Oilers on the defensive side of the puck. Uh, you kind of went over um, like the first 26 minutes where they fell behind four nothing. Uh, so I'm going to say, um, the, just the lack of respect that they showed for their opponents today. Uh, this is a team that beat them in Edmonton like two or three weeks ago in a shootout. Uh, and yet Edmonton came out as if, well, we just clobbered, uh, Pittsburgh. Therefore, this is the last place team. This, this one should be. Easy, and they just stank the place out for like 26 minutes. They stank in the first 26 minutes. They were getting crushed for nothing by the worst team in the NHL, and you know a team that just beat them, right? And they were getting crushed for nothing. And their defense, uh, goaltending, defense from the defensemen and defense from the forwards was wretched absolutely wretched they didn't get any saves when they needed them and the goals against it seemed like the defensemen were on an island when they were there at all i mean the first goal uh a nurse tries a cross ice pass to dry saddle which would have been inspired had not hyman skated right through the lane the puck hit hyman everybody blames nurse puck uh, comes the other way and it goes uh into edmonton territory and there's three forwards there and Hyman, like he's literally like 10 feet from the front of his own net. And he just stands there and he watches while the Columbus guy skates in and collects the puck and, you know, right in tight to the goal and, and deflects it home from the edge of the blue paint. And that was his guy. Like he had him 10 feet from the net and he just let him go. I mean, he's done that on. and he did that recently in another game too. Yeah, he's, he does that from time to time. And uh I'm not yeah. as big on Hyman as a great two-way player as many are. He's a very good offensive player. I think defensively he's pretty, pretty ho-hum. He has his moments, but uh, he also has moments like that one where he just basically fell completely asleep uh, at the switch a minute into the first period. Like that didn't happen last game and the game before it. The Oilers gave up the first goal right off the hop. So, you know, wake the hell up. And then the second period, I mean, the one penalty to Harney, he led the team in penalty kill minutes today, but he was in the box, so he wasn't killing this one. And uh, they uh, uh, turned the puck over. I think it was McLeod. They had a two-on-two. Yeah. Two. He got checked. And he. I thought he came back, and he was in pretty good position, but they just – nobody could make, a, could make a stop or, you know, a solid play on the puck, take a man, and – 
anyway, I just kept going like that. And uh, the third and fourth goals, I think you'd like to have a save on both of them. Yeah. So by the time Campbell comes out, it's four nothing. And then after they do come back and tie it up, I'd like to think Skinner uh, could have done a lot better on the fifth and especially the sixth goal that was scored from above the circles. I mean, it was a good shot by Roslovich, but geez. You that had to have it. a save was there, it? down 5-4, yeah. you know, and they did get one back, but they couldn't get them both back after 6-4. So I don't think, Skinner made a few more stops than Campbell maybe, but I don't think either goalie exactly covered himself with glory today. So 8-33 for Skinner, and what would it be for Campbell? 7-14 in this game. Uh, not good. And Of course, so, it was... What's that? When it was 4-4, they were also dealing with the Jack Jinx, Bruce. Oh. Jack. My- if I believed in Jinxes, I would absolutely detest that stuff. And I know there are people who do believe in Jinxes, and I know some of them do detest that stuff. Jack that talks about over it Over like and over again. As if it, it, he just... There's a way to talk about it, I think, without sounding like it's a foregone conclusion that the Oilers are going to come back and win the game. Mm-hmm. But sometimes Jack telegraphs it like, you know, they've come back and this is going to be the third time. I don't know if he said it exactly that way. The third time that a team has come back uh, to win a game or so. It, it, was, it wasn't oh, probably yeah. quite that strong, but it was along those lines. And I just, every time that happens with Jack, like he, he'll say something like, uh, and this team has uh, lost every single game, um, like down two nothing heading into the third period when the orders are up to nothing, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, here we go again. I just think you need to like when you frame those things, just frame them like um, just as a fact, not as a not as I don't maybe is maybe I'm just being overly superstitious here. But I just when the Jack Jinx comes up, it just clobbers me over the head now, and and uh, this was a prime example of it. Columbus is on the verge of frittering away another power. Play. Oh, they scored. That was the first one. Yes, that was the first one. I'm thinking, Jack, why did you say that? There's a minute left in this in this PK. And then, you know, literally 10 seconds later, the puck's in the Oilers' net. The old Jack Jinx. Anyway, uh, it's it's not a big deal, but um, it's, it's, I'm not, it's, it has happened a few times this year. Maybe it's the nature of the way the Oilers play hockey. I didn't like, yeah, Campbell's play on those. The Marchenko shot on the third goal was a pretty, was not a bad shot, but it was from far out. Um, and he, on the lining goal, he just seems, Jack Campbell just seems so slow getting over to the other side of the net. Um, that, uh, it was a snipe by a sniper. And if Leon it was had scored, a s- it, we'd say nice snipe, but still, the goalie's, you know, seemed a little he's slow be over be. there. He just didn't, he's, he didn't read the rebound off the end boards. I think it came out yeah. and line and just bang. Yeah. I got a cat here. So, all right, Bruce. My uh, we're we're on to the uh, good things now, and um, the owner's comeback was mighty impressive. Well, it lasted, and it starts off with fantastic forecheck play by Yesipoliarov. He gets in there, gets a stick on the puck, wins the puck, and f- goes over to Fogel, who takes it from the boards and goes right to the net, hammers it on net. In the meantime, Jack Campbell's in front of the net, battling hard. And um, the screen helps on this one. Fogel makes a good shot, and it's four to one. And it was just Fogel. Fogel actually was one of the few orders who I thought in the first period looked like his head was in the game. 
uh, more so than most of the players. And um, it's yeah. we've been seeing this from Fogel, a little bit of leadership, I would say, on the Oilers. They they with Kane and Costin out, they lack that kind of jerk player who will um, like Corey Perry or Patrick Maroon or Jamie Benn, who will just pull his team back into the game by uh, making a nasty or an aggressive play. And it was actually McDavid who did that this game. He went hard to the net early in the second period and hacked the goalie's hand to try to, to, to it's, that, it's that kind of play. But Fogel's been doing it too. And I, I, I thought this play was just another example of, of it. He's just going hard to the net and making the play. And um, with maybe with, with when Kane and Costin come back, they'll have that player again in their lineup. Maybe that's the kind of player. It looks like they can only make a trade around the edges, but maybe they can get that kind of um, aggressive jerk kind of player who, who, when your team needs an aggressive jerk move, will pull it off successfully. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they got a few aggressive <laughs> players, but they weren't playing all that aggressively today. And it was... Uh, um, it was um, Fogel doing a little bit of it early, uh, but he didn't have the greatest defensive game either. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that goal certainly helped turn things around. Ryan going to the net front and sort of creating a disturbance had a big part to do with that. And Pugliarvi yeah. was robbed of an assist on that play because he checked the puck off the guy's stick right to Fogel, uh, but they called it unassisted. But Whatever. Yes, his uh, stats are taking a beating this year from every which way. Might as well get the official scorekeepers in on it, too. What is your good thing, Bruce? Yeah, no choice here but to go with Connor McDavid in this game, who was uh, everything good that the Oilers had going for them for many parts of the game. Uh, Two goals, two assists, four points, plus three, uh, and no plus on the power play goal that he was out for. Uh, he led the team with 12 shot attempts, seven shots. He led the team with five hits. The Oilers had 17 hits total in this game and played with very little edge. And McDavid, I thought he was everything you'd want your leader to be in terms of playing physically, taking it to him, stepping up and skating hard. Uh, I mean, people can't do all the things that he can do. I mean, that shorthanded goal, he scored to make it 4-3. He's maybe one of the very few players in the league that would be able to make a play like that. And, but he, I mean, he set up uh dry saddle for the four two with a, with a cross seam pass, his second one of the same power play and uh, Corpus Allo had robbed dry saddle on an earlier such chance, but uh, this time Leon buried it. He scored the four three uh, on the shorthanded uh, rush from inside his own territory all the way uh, Cross the width of the ice, and then he went around Johnny Goodrow like a hoop around the barrel, as uh, Howie Meeker would say, and right in and sifted one five hole. And then that line had a fabulous shift after that, where they just cycled and cycled and cycled and created good shots in, in the uh, zone. McDavid had, uh, I think, one of those shots himself. And then he finally took it back out to the outside and he wound up and blasted a slap shot top corner past Corpus Allo to tie it 4-4. And for the second of his goals in a row, he turned to the bench and went, let's go. 
And that's actually all he said. Usually they add another word in the middle, but he just said, let's go. <laughs> and the team did go uh, for the next 10 minutes, sort of into the first six, seven minutes of the third period. And then for whatever, they lost it. And they just didn't have much going on down the, down the stretch of this game. And McDavid himself interviewed after the game, said it was an embarrassing start and an embarrassing finish to the game. He just didn't think the Oilers finished this game off properly. I would say the start was embarrassing. The end was frustrating. And in the end, the other goalie made more saves than uh, Edmonton's two goalies combined by a wide margin. They got five goals, and it still wasn't enough. It's twice in a week, David. The Oilers have scored five and lost. <clears throat> they got to get it together on on the defensive side of the puck again, and they sure didn't have it today. So people were all over Nurse online for that first goal. There was mm-hmm. he he did turn over the puck on a bad luck play. The weird thing about Nurse on that play, and, and it was truly weird, is after he turned over the puck, he went to mm-hmm. change off, mm-hmm. and and. When he did, like, I don't know. And he realized he couldn't. I don't know why he did that, because they were already coming back with the puck. He had just turned it over. And mm-hmm. because he, he he was forever chasing the play after that, he might have been able to actually thwart that that mm-hmm. goal against if he hadn't. It was not the turnover. Like like you say, it went off another player's backside. So it's it's just one of those things that happened, went off his skate mm-hmm. or something. And But the fact that he then... That, to me, was another mental mistake of going off the ice at that point when he should have been chasing it. Sorry, well, my, my read on that was he um, he he played from the opening shift, so he'd already been out there for over a minute. Oh, okay. His partner had changed. Nurse was now on the right side, and Kulak was on the left. And Nurse's plan was, I'm going to come out, I'm going to make this pass, and I'm going to peel off to the bench. And he, he made the pass, except for it didn't get through, and it sort of seemed to take a second for the painter to drop. And he went, oh, I can't be doing that. They're coming back hard. And he sure. got back in the play. And at first I thought he coughed up the puck behind the net, but in fact it was a diving play by uh, Boone Jenner to beat him to the puck behind the net and chip it over to... Uh, uh, the fellow at this, you know, the side of the, on the goal line, who wound up making the centering pass for the, for the goal. Yeah, you, you talked about the orders needing a greasy, son of a gun. Boy, it'd be nice to get that Boone Jenner somehow, wouldn't it? Yeah, he's not a bad hockey player at all. I'd give up a first round pick for him. Um. Okay. Uh, where are we at here, Bruce? Are we at the numbers? Yeah, you you did McDavid your good thing. He and he was McDavid was just he was just fantastic. He was so good this game. He was out of sync with the rest of the team in the first mm-hmm. period. I should say he he looked like he should have been attacking the net a few times when he was looping back the other direction. He had kind of an odd first period as well. But man, did he ever crank it up! And um, yeah. I mean, they 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 were they had the first six grade A shots in the third period, Bruce, and then mm-hmm. um, four on one then, play. Eh? Then then uh, can't remember exactly what's what happened on the the first Columbus. Uh, CC makes uh, allows the pass, and all I know is from our from our notes. But on on the winning goal, um, Philip Roberg made a bad turnover. Like he just he just passed it off the boards incautiously and it and it went to no man's land and nugent hopkins then, couldn't handle it 
Nuge then loses a battle, which he did all game long, and then on the rebound, um, off a tough shot, a rebound off a tough shot for uh, Bouchard was late to the shooter. So, but really it was Broberg who started off that particular sequence of pain. And Skinner Here, was diving over, and and the puck clipped. I think Bouchard on the way by, and oh. kind of skimmed past. Skinner, but Skinner diving over wasn't exactly what you'd expect. Like you want your goalie to be a little bit more in control after kicking out a big rebound like that. But it was instant desperation mode. That was the five four, Dave. And then that the was the five four. Yeah, it's not the winner. It's the goal ahead goal. Was the yeah. uh, was the rush where Rosovic shot from I'd say above the circles? And I don't know. Did you score that a B shot? No, I'll it did. is I'll have another look at it because it was a it two, was on, two one. on one. So, yeah, CC made a bad pinch on that, and Nuge was a little caught up ice a bit. And but the rest is the rest is the story of the game. The orders lost. Bruce, what is your number? Yeah, I'm going to go with the number 16 and zero. And 16 is the number of shots taken by Edmonton Oilers defensemen in this game, and zero is the number of goals that they scored. And this is nothing new. In fact, it's so not new that if you go back all the way to January 1st, uh, 22 games ago, Tyson Berry has scored five goals in that span. And other than Berry, we have Nurse 0, Kulak 0, Bouchard 0, Broberg 0, DeHarnay 0, Cece 0. And I won't mention Nima Leinen because he only played two games. And those six defensemen, Combined in that 22-game span for 199 shots on net and zero goals. In other words, they score on their next shot. They'll have a shooting percentage of 0.5% in uh, in 2022. So Barry is, you know, at least he's able to find the net from time to time. But nothing from the from the defense in terms of goal scoring. And how many games is that, Bruce? 22 games. The last 22 games. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, probably the last point. I think Nurse scored in Seattle. It might have been the last goal scored by a non-Barry defenseman. And Barry, of course, his were power play goals, uh, two on the power play and three at even strength. And the other guy's like, Evan Bouchard, what happened? This is the guy who scored 12 goals last year. Now he's gone 38 games without a single goal. And it's just he's unable to beat goaltenders or when he has a chance to beat him, he whiffs on shots or he gets checked because he doesn't let it go fast enough or he hits a shin pad. So anyway, the the the, the for all that Edmonton scores lots of goals, the, the lack of contribution on the goal scoring front from the defenseman is kind of sad. Why do you think it is, Bruce? I don't really have an answer. It's not like, you know, uh, McDavid and I think especially Drysaddle, they like to pick up that trailer when he's cruising, you know, coming in late on the play and has a pretty decent shot from the slot. But uh, some of them have, you know, I mean, CeCe's shot hasn't scared anybody. Uh, I don't suppose Kulak's does. They, I mean, he's had some assists, but uh, they've all had some assists. But uh, 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 they've just got... Uh, for whatever reason, they have just all of the crew except for uh, Barry in this extended drought. You know, you like to think that that 
once every five or ten games, someone's going to come up with a goal from the back end. Could he use one today? That's for sure. Let me just see here. I can see if I can figure this out real quick, Bruce. Um, if I can figure out how many great. Here we go. All right. Uh, twin. So that includes the power play. Uh, yeah, that's all. Sh that's yeah, that's all their shots. So Nurse has had uh, six grade A shots at that time. Bouchard's had just three. Cece's had two. Kulak's had two. And Philip Broberg has had one. Oh. And Vinny, what do you think, Vinny? None? Yeah, one. He's had one. Mm -hmm. So that's nine. This isn't including the power play, but only Bouchard. Nine, uh, 12, uh, Nine, uh, six, 15 grade A shots of those. Is it 200, about 200? Yeah, actually, I, I just recalculated. It's 185. I added today's in when they'd already been updated. So I so they had those out. But uh, without Barry. Mm -hmm. um, 185 had, shots, no goals in 2023. Yeah, so they've had <laughs> 15 grade A shots. So you'd expect out of that, those 15 shots, you'd expect... Um, four or five goals, I guess, probably. Three anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely three. And then you might expect another one to go in. So there's a little bit of bad puck luck, but they're not exactly um, Yari Curry or, or Risto Siltanen uh, shooting that puck. Okay, Bruce, uh, <laughs> I'll end it on a high note. Connor McDavid um, now has... 113 points in 60 games. He is averaging 1.88 points per game, which equals his highest ever points per game total in the NHL. And it, it only equals the weird season when they only played the Canadian teams, um, mm -hmm. when he had 105 points in 56 games in 2020-21. Uh, so he, um, he is just on fire. Didn't stop uh, Greg Wyshynski of ESPN from ha having a podcast uh, discussion whether David Pasternak should win the MVP this year over McDavid. But um, I think uh, there's not going to be a narrative strong enough concocted out of thin air this year to prevent McDavid from winning the uh, Hart Trophy. So um, he's just having, he's having a fantastic year. His defensive play has been, um, according to our work at least, about the same as it's been. He's been fairly consistent. I think he's, um, considering how the, the degree of competition that he faces, he's an average to good defensive player. He's at least an average defensive player. Um, maybe when you factor in how tough the competition is, you might even say he's he's above average uh, defensively. Uh, and then on the attack, he's just out of this world better than anyone else. And he's showing that with that 1.88 points per game. Fantastic work by Connor McDavid. Yeah, if, his, if you did a third decimal point, he'd actually be ahead of his pace from that year because he's played four more games and he has eight more points. So two points a game in the extra game. So he's nudging a tiny bit ahead with 
three, four, and four points in the three games this week, which should earn him NHL's first star of the week, I would expect. As for as for David Pasternak, he's uh, uh, he is having a great year and he is a great player, uh, but I'm not sure quite on that level. But here's a little stick tap to David Pasternak, who earlier this week had two goals in a game, and one of the NHL traditions is when a guy has a two-goal game and the other team pulls their goalie, the team tries to set him up for the hat-trick, and they set up Pasternak, Boston did, and instead of scoring, he set up David Krejci so that Krejci could score a goal in his 1,000th NHL game. So there is a teammate with uh, with a big heart. So wow. I do like David Pasternak. He's a good player. <laughs> He is a good player. I'm not saying he's not. He's like kind of like Mike Bossy, right? Like that's who he reminds me of, just this guy floating around, uh, looking for those holes in the attacking zone and exploiting them ruthlessly with goals for. 42 goals for David Pasternak in 57 games. Um, 79 points in 57 games, but he's plus 27. Uh, so. Spe- speaking of him, after... Well, uh, next game after losing to the last place Columbus Blue Jackets, the Oilers can regain the two points they just pissed away by beating the first place Boston Bruins. Have fun with that. They can do it. Yeah, but Boston they can, just, but I mean, it, it just goes, it's the same two points that's on the line that they just completely lost the plot on today for, you know, obviously too much of the game. Not all of it, but... Boston just made a trade that I would have liked to have seen the Oilers make if they could have pulled it off. You just did a big post on this. They picked up uh, Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway. Yeah, uh, two Washington Capitals for a first, second, and third picks. They dumped some salary in terms of moving out. I think, what's his name, Smith? Um, Craig Smith. Craig Smith, that's right. Yeah, he's a $3 million player in the same class as the Oilers have with uh, CC Kulak, Yamamoto, Pugliarvi, or Fogel. And yeah. they moved that guy and all of his salary. Uh, they brought back Hathaway and all of his salary, which is only $1.5 million. And then they brought in Dmitry Orlov at only one quarter of his salary because of the picks that they traded. So they were able to saw off on this deal and salary cap. And that's it's a template. If Ken Holland's going to do a deal for a big player, and I mean, Dmitry Orlov, he's not Eric Carlson, right, or, or uh, uh, Patrick Kane, but he, he's, uh, uh, he's a pretty good player. That's a, that's a template as to how it can be done when he is under the straitjacket of the salary cap as it applies to the orders, which is what I wrote about. Like, he's going to really have to find some way to do it, but uh, Boston just did. Toronto just did, in, in a way, Toronto, Toronto had a little more leeway because they have an injured guy that... Uh, Left some cap space, Jake Muzzin. And Oilers, you know, unless they were to put Vander Kane on the injured list for the rest of the year, they, you know, they're, they're they, I mean, they're right now on a 20 man roster, so they can't be doing two or three for one players because they just don't have the roster space players wise, let alone cap wise. So it's a real, you know, it's, it's a real uh, tough. Situation basically, all of the five million dollar players the orders have, which is eight of them, are basically locked in. And all of the one million dollar class players they have, which is nine of them, you can move them out, you're gonna to have to replace them with a the guy making almost as much. So, there's not any hardly any 
room to save cap by trading those guys. It's only that little cluster of five guys that I mentioned earlier that are really vulnerable to being traded out to make cap space for the guy that's coming in. I mean, Holland's he's just got a lot of a lot of balls to juggle at once in terms of keeping his roster size up, keeping his cap space down, and trading something that has you know salary attached to it. I mean, trading Philip Broberg or Evan Bouchard for a defenseman, that does nothing to solve your salary cap situation because you're selling a cheap player for an expensive one. You know, so yeah, I like this trade. Orlov is a, yeah, I think he's a good player. He's 31, mm-hmm. and um, he's just a really good puck mover, smart hockey player. Would look would have looked great behind Darnell Nurse, you know, uh, as a second pairing uh, defenseman on the Oilers. He's just uh, and H- Hathaway is just a really rugged, aggressive, bottom line player, of the kind that the Oilers could also use. So. He's a real um, good player. I've often, I've long, good. long ad- admired is a strong word, but I've long respected how hard Hathaway plays. But you know, he's not just a greaser; he's an actual smart hockey player that you know can do stuff with the puck. And you know, he's a he, he's you know a bottom sixer. He's not any kind of sniper, but uh, 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 you know, he plays a fairly well-rounded game, and he's as hard as nails. And That'll just make the Bruins that much tougher to play. We'll see on Monday. We'll get to see Orlov and Hathaway and, oh, yeah, Pasternak and Marchand and and uh, the great Patrice Bergeron and the fantastic, one of the two fantastic goalies that they've got and on and on. Hampus Lindholm, great defenseman that they picked up with a really smart uh, move and then re-signing. They, you know, they got a lot going on in Boston. I'm not sure who's going to beat that team this year, David. And I'm not sure it's going to matter the trades that the other teams make if Boston's uh, just, you know, keeps doing what they're doing, which is like eight losses or something through f- close to 60 games. It'll so. be interesting to see Bergeron and Marchand and Krejci play defense. Like, that's what I'm looking to see because these guys are consistently oh, strong much. defensive players. So I just want to see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, it's I think it should be a model for McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Eugene Hopkins, Hyman going forward, the defensive play of these guys, to to be like them, to, to take take up that challenge. And uh, so it'd be just, it'll be fun to watch them in a game. Maybe they'll have a bad game. We can only hope that they... This is the uh, exception to the rule because uh, they're all like Bergeron's plus 27, Marchand's plus 23, Krejci plus 18. So, Marchand was chirping an Oilers fan on Twitter earlier this week, and somehow I don't think that'll be forgotten between now and Monday night when they show up here. So, what did he say? Do you recall? Uh, I don't know. It was. Uh, this Euler analytics guy on Twitter that's usually chirping Toronto all the time. He's got nothing to do at all with analytics. It's a real misnomer. And this time he was chirping Boston and Marchand came back at him with a couple of words. And then it's like four or five day blizzard of anti-Bruins tweets since then. <laughs> well, they're a hell of a team. Got to yeah, give yeah, 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 yeah. They're so terrible, Boston. But uh, first overall by a mile. Anyway, uh, we'll see what happens on uh, on uh, on Monday. But it's uh, it's going to be a huge test in Toronto coming in right after that. So it has a long history of success in 
Power yeah, building. this is this is this run of seven. I think it's mm-hmm. about at least seven games that I was referring to earlier. Just really, really hard games in a row. And if the Oilers can average a point per game through this run, um, that'll be good. So we'll see what happens. Let's leave mm-hmm. it there, Bruce. Thanks. Uh, thanks for talking today. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.